This morning, we're going to be talking about a heart of worship. Our subject is worship, and so we want to talk about what is worship. And so if, if I were to ask most of you here this morning, or ask most Christians that you know, if, if a pastor is going to preach a message on worship, most people would think that we're going to be talking about music. Somebody said it, music, right? That's what most people would think. We're going to be talking about music. Or we're going to be talking about that 20 to 25 minute time before, uh, before the preacher gets up to preach. You'd be thinking, well, we're talking about that time. But really, I just want to say this out front. Music is not worship. Music is not worship. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute. That's messing my world up here. I thought music was worship. No, music is music. Worship is a condition of your heart. Worship is who you are. You are either a worshiper or you're not. Actually, we're all worshipers. And this is what we want to get at. I want to build a foundation for you here about what worship is. And then we're going to look at three elements of genuine godly worship. But a part of this foundational understanding of what worship is, it's, this rea- it's, this, it's coming to understand that we all worship. We are all worshipers. We're all made to worship, and we will worship something. The question is not, will you worship? The question is, who or what will you worship? Who or what will you worship? And so, to illustrate this, I had Chuck come up with a couple of graphics. You guys enjoyed Chuck's graphic a few weeks back with the tree and the flying stapler in the air and the little click staple noise there. You guys enjoyed that? I I, I loved it. So I said, Chuck, let's do some more graphics. And so I want to illustrate two different positions of your heart. So you're going to worship, but it's really only two main ways that you're going to worship. The first way is this. It's a heart of idolatrous worship. So You're going to worship something. So here's what happens. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life and the center of your life, you're going to to make something in your life an ultimate thing. Whether it's work, relationships, money, hobbies, maybe even music, you're going to make that an ultimate thing and and, and and you're going to worship that. That's a heart of idolatrous worship. And and even us as Christians, we we can do that at times. Even with Jesus as the Lord of our life, we can, we can make some of these things idols in our life. You know, I was thinking about it's Master's Week. How many golf fans do we have this week here this morning? Is that it? How, how many hunters do we have here this morning? Oh, man, we got some work to do. <sighs> I thought when, when I was, dealing, when I was uh, in the transition process, I was thinking it may be a prerequisite for me to become a hunter to be the pastor of this church. But the, the Lord didn't ask me to do that. Uh, though I will eventually hunt, eventually. But it's Master's Week, right? And it is a temptation in my life to make my hobby of golf an ultimate thing. And I am convinced that the Lord gave me four kids to prevent me from doing that. Because <laughs> I do not have the time. When I go to play golf, it is, it is a five-hour adventure to go on, and I love every minute of it. But... This week, as I'm preparing to preach on, uh, on worship and not having idols in your life, I've got my laptop on my desk in that office back there, in the Holy of Holies back there, and, I'm, 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 and I know masters.com is just a few clicks away, and so on my lunch break, I'm like, okay, I'm eating lunch. I can watch a little bit in between message prep, and so I put on masters.com, and 10 minutes turn into 20 minutes into 30 minutes, and I'm like, okay, wait, I can't do this. I have to prepare this message, and so... Even I, anybody can make an idol out of anything. And but, but 
Specifically, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you, you, you have to have a heart transplant to accurately worship God, to honestly, to genuinely worship him. But this is a heart of idolatrous worship. And none of these things are bad, right? Money's not bad. Money is good. Relationships are good and from God and work. We're called to work and you need a hobby. If you don't have a hobby, get a hobby. You need one. And music is a gift from God. All the different types of music that we have, they're, they're given by God for us to enjoy. But if a good thing from God is made into an ultimate thing and you put it above God, then it's idolatry. So you will worship, but it will either be idolatrous worship or it will be a heart of the next slide, a heart of genuine worship. So again, it's illustrating the same thing, but, but here's the difference. The heart of genuine worship, the heart of God-honoring worship, what happens is, is that we worship through these things. And if you see, I had Chuck create some smoke. It's a little cheesy there, but it illustrates a point. When we worship through work and we worship through music, and, and trust me, I worship the Lord through my hobby of golf when I'm out there. I, I can worship the Lord through relationships, through, through being a good, godly spouse, through raising your kids and loving them well, through work, through all these areas of your life, you worship God through these areas and it's a sweet-smelling aroma that goes up to God's nostrils and it's pleasing to Him. But it's all centered around your heart. It has to be centered on your heart. A heart of genuine, godly worship. You will worship God through every area of your life. And so that's kind of the foundation picture of what we're talking about here is that we're going to worship. You will worship. The question is not will or if. It's who or what will you worship. And so we want to look this morning at, at three elements of what, what I would call three elements that make up genuine worship. Three elements that make up genuine worship. The first element is this. It's a heart of genuine faith. A heart of genuine faith. And this is what I spoke about a few minutes ago, it's, 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 a, it's a position of being a believer in Jesus Christ. This is the first element. If you're going to worship God accurately and correctly, this is like basics. This is foundations here. You have to be a Christian. You have to have a heart of genuine faith to worship God accurately. You cannot worship a God that you do not know. You cannot worship God if you don't have a relationship with him. This is the basic foundation truth of all of worship is you have to have a heart that is surrendered to Jesus Christ to worship him correctly. Do you remember in in the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Athens and Paul went to Athens and and he was around these scholars and these mystics and and they they love to to talk about spiritual things and he, he goes and he meets with them and let's pick up this dialogue he has with these people. In Acts 17, 22 through 23, it says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So, He's talking to these men and he's telling them, you, you have an inscription to the unknown God and you're worshiping gods that you do not know. Basically what they were doing is they were trying to cover all their bases. They had all these other false gods that they would worship and they said, oh hey, just in case there is a God out there that we're not really appeasing correctly, we're going to write an inscription to the unknown God and we'll worship all the potential gods that might be out there. 
And what does Paul do? Paul says, you're worshiping somebody you don't know. And he does something really powerful. He, sheds, he puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ. And look what he says here. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a, by a man. He made it specific. By a man whom he has appointed, whom God has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, zeroes in on the central focus of how to worship God correctly. It's based upon faith in Jesus Christ. Genuine worship. To worship God genuinely, it flows out of a heart of genuine faith. A heart that is not surrendered to Jesus cannot worship God correctly. Cannot. You must worship God on a foundation of faith in Christ. Without faith in Christ, it is impossible to worship God correctly. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. This is, Hebrews chapter 11 is the, is the chapter of faith, right? And it goes through all these lists of men and women of God who by faith did mighty works in God's name. And, 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 and Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, says in Hebrews 6, 11, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's on the foundation of faith that we worship God. So if, 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 if you are basing your worship on a foundation of, of any other motivation, it's the wrong foundation. It has to be the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want to say this. When we specifically come into corporate times of worship, where we come together and, and we sing songs and we, we listen to messages preached and we engage each other in corporate worship, all the things that we do when we gather are meant to be worship to God. And our hearts are surrendered to Christ. And what, what I find, you know, I've grown up in church all of my life. I can't think of a time where I've not been in, in church. Um, I think I was in church when I was in my mother's womb because when I was pregnant, she was in church. And one of the things that I, I have struggled with most of my life is that there tends to be pressure. There can be pressure, things that, pressure I've experienced when I come into church services of feeling like I have to do something to demonstrate to others that I'm worshiping God. To show them that I'm really worshiping God. And I just want to say this. Be very careful to not judge too quickly about who you think is worshiping and who you think is not worshiping. Because the heart of genuine worship is the heart. You can, listen, you can be somebody sitting in your seat, standing in your seat during worship. You can be sitting during worship. And you can have more of a heart of worship. Maybe you're just in such reverence and awe of God, you feel like, I just need to sit or kneel in his presence, and you're sitting there. And, but you could have somebody who's lifting their hands, and they're making lots of noise and commotion, and they have a heart of idolatry. They haven't even surrendered to Christ, maybe. Or maybe they're doing it for the wrong reason. Maybe they're doing it because they want to be seen. The heart of, a heart of genuine worship is a heart that is surrendered to Christ. And God doesn't judge the way that we judge. Worship is not about what is seen on the outside during the times of music. Worship is about what is in your heart. Now, when you do worship the Lord, when your heart is surrendered and you have a heart of, of, genu of genuine worship, your emotions are going to be moved. And, and there, there will be times where you will be motivated to lift your hands and worship. 
And we, and we read that in scripture where we lift up holy hands and we read in scripture that we clap our hands. And, and so there's things that we can do in worship physically. But be very slow to judge people and think, well, man, that guy, that guy, that woman's not really worshiping God. God's the only one that can judge that accurately. If you, if you think back, if you remember in 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel went to anoint a new king. And God says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. The new king is in, is, is in his house. And if you remember, Samuel walked into the room with all of Jesse's sons there. And he looks at Eliab. And this is what he says. Surely, surely the Lord's anointed before me. And what, so what was Samuel doing? He was looking at Eliab, who was this strong, tall, handsome man. And he said, surely that guy's the guy. Surely he's the one that's to lead the nation of Israel. Surely he's the one that is to be the next king. And what did the Lord tell Samuel? He says, God doesn't look the way that you look. God doesn't look at man the way we do. God looks at the heart. And he says, this is not my chosen one. And where was the chosen one? Where was the one that was supposed to be the next king? It was the one that was in the pasture tending the sheep that wasn't seen, that was honoring God in, in secrecy. That's how God, it's, it's, it's about your heart and your surrendered heart. That is the heart of genuine worship. It's a heart that is surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ. God doesn't look the way that man does. God had to remind the prophet Samuel that he doesn't look on the outward appearance, but rather on the heart. Psalm 24, 3 through 6 says this, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, doesn't have an idolatrous heart to worship things that are false, nor does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The first element, the foundational element of genuine godly worship is a surrendered heart to Jesus Christ. It's a heart of faith and love for Christ. The second element is this. It's a mind transformed by truth. A mind transformed by truth. So, so you have a heart that is surrendered. This is, this is what happens when, when we get saved. We place our faith in Jesus Christ and our heart is surrendered. But you know what needs to happen? We need to learn to worship correctly. We need to learn to worship God in truth. You have so many people, they're so passionate, they have lots of zeal, they first get saved, but they don't understand who God is. They don't know his character and his nature, his attributes and what he values and what he loves and what he dislikes and what doesn't give him pleasure. And so you, you, we have to have our mind renewed so we can learn to, to know who God is. And this is, if, if you read a story in the book of John, this really illustrates it perfectly. Jesus was, was going on a long journey and he was... He's going and doing ministry and doing miracles. And, and on, on the way on his journey, he got thirsty. But this was not an accidental journey for the Lord. Nothing that the Lord Jesus did was by accident. It was because it was, a, it was a part of God's plan. And if you read in John 4, he comes to a well. And there's a, a Samaritan woman that's there. And this is such a profound story. Because Jesus, as a Jewish man, would never have, have come up to a woman... And engaged her in conversation like that. It was beneath a Jewish man to do that. He would have never asked 
a Jewish woman for water. But he asked her for water. And on top of that, not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan. And during that time, the Jews and Samaritans, Samaritans were considered half-breeds. There were half-Jews who had intermingled with foreign people that were non-Jews. And so the Samaritans were considered a lower class of people. So the Jews would not interact with them. So he was breaking all the barriers. He wasn't looking as man looks on the outside. He was, as God, looking at the heart. And what did Jesus see right there? He saw a woman who he was going to ask for water. But he knew that she was thirsty. He knew that she needed something that only he could give. And so he comes up to her and he asks her for water. And he begins this dialogue with her. And he tells her, he says, hey, where's your, where's your husband? Where's your husband? And she says, well, well and I, I, I don't have a husband. And, and he begins to say, well, that you're, you, you're, you're true in saying you have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now, man number six, he's not even your husband. You're, you're living with somebody that's not your husband. And all of a sudden, the woman's like, wait a minute. This guy, something's about, something's about this guy. And look, let's pick up in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. So look, look what she does. She says, she recognizes this guy as some kind of spiritual guru guy, prophet. So she wants to get religious. And she wants to, to, to find out, well, how should we worship? So then she says, she says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But they say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. And you know what? That's the gospel in two words right there. Believe me. She was trying to distract from the conversation. She was trying to say, hey, you look like you're a spiritual guy. You, you look like you might be a prophet. What's true? What's right? What did Jesus say? Believe me. Don't believe what your grandfather said, if what, he, he, what, what he said might be true, but ultimately, it's about believing me. Our father says to worship on this mountain. Jesus says, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and now and is now here. When the true worshipers, the genuine worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him in spirit and truth. And that word spirit is not for the, it's not, that word is not translated into meaning the Holy Spirit. It's meaning who you really are. Who you are on the inside. That you would worship God genuinely from your heart, but then that you would worship God in truth. You have to worship God in truth. And so, the heart of genuine faith is the first element, but a mind transformed by truth is the second element that, that builds genuine worship. The more you understand about God through his word, the deeper and more profound your worship will be. That's why I believe it is so foreign for us as believers to downplay God's word. If you genuinely love God, you have a genuine heart of faith towards God, the more you know about God, the deeper your worship will be. Shallow understanding of God, listen to me, shallow understanding of God will produce shallow worship. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ and you can genuinely love him, but if you ignore the teaching of God's word and you don't study God's word in your, in, in, in your private time and you don't study God's word to learn about his character and his nature and his attributes, you're disconnecting yourself from the source of truth that will deepen your worship. 
You have to know God in his word and it transforms your mind. Shallow understanding produces shallow worship. Deep understanding of God through his word produces a person who accurately understands who God is and therefore can worship him in truth. This is why, this is why when we're in the middle of the music time where we worship God through music, this is why whenever the songs go on the screen and we sing songs about God and his character and his nature, because our mind has been transformed by truth, those songs remind us of what God's word says about who he is and how much he loves us and and what he's done for us on the cross and the power of his resurrection. And, And music is powerful. It's a powerful tool that God uses in our hearts. And so when you connect truth to music, truth to song, and you connect truth and song to a heart of genuine faith, your emotions are going to be moved. And you're going to to sing to the depths of your heart. And you're going to sing out. And you're going to love to worship God through song. It's truth that transforms our mind, that deepens our worship. This is why our heart and emotions are moved when we sing songs that remind us of what we already know about the character and nature of God. This is why we sit on the edge of our seat Listening intently as, God, as God's word is preached. Did you know that you worship through listening to God's word? I know some of you might be sleeping right now. If you're sleeping, you can wake up. <laughs> you, you can worship in your sleep. Um, what's that? I, I thought you said something to me. I'm sorry. Um, my wife talks. I got to listen. <laughs> but do you know you worship through listening to God's word? It, it, again, it's the condition of your heart. And, and, and when, you've, when, when God's word has transformed your heart and your mind and you know God's character and his nature and his attributes and you submit to the power of God's word, when somebody gets up and they preach God's word, you're just like, yes, that is true, that is right, that is good. And it reminds you of who God is and it stirs your heart. That is worship. You worship by listening intently, by paying attention. It's worship. This is why we celebrate with tears of joy when we see the beauty of the gospel demonstrated through water baptism. We were all worshiping the Lord together when when these brothers and sisters got up here and got baptized. It's because we were hearing the power of the gospel proclaimed through their life and demonstrated through water baptism. We are all, they're worshiping God and we're worshiping God with him. It's our, the second element of our mind being transformed by truth, it impacts every area of our life as we worship God we have to have a heart of genuine faith but we also have to have a mind that is submitted to the truth of God's word you have to worship somebody a God that you know when we study God's word we come to understand the character the nature and the attributes of God and then our mind is renewed and transformed as we behold the beauty of Christ to behold the beauty of Christ the third element of genuine worship is this. It's a life that displays the work of grace. It's a heart of genuine faith. It's a mind transformed by truth. And then it's a life that displays the work of grace. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's Paul saying there? 
He's saying two things. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. So what he's saying here is he's saying, because of the mercies of God and the grace of God in your life, what he's saying is these previous 11 chapters where we have talked about what God has done in the richness of his grace towards us in Christ Jesus in view of the depths of the riches of the richness of God's grace in your life. In view of that, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, submit your life as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship, which is your spiritual worship. So it's a heart of genuine faith. It's a mind transformed by truth. But if it's not a life that is lived, then it's, then it's not genuine. It has to reach into your life. This is what Paul is saying in view of the mercy of God. None of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserve his mercy. None of us deserve that we would be saved. But God, because of his great love that he has for us in Christ Jesus, died for our sins, took our place. And in view of that mercy, we say, God, here's my life. Here is my life. Here here is all of me. Here is my heart. Here is my mind. Here is my emotions. Here is my work. Here is my job. Here is my family. Here is my money. God, I give it. I give it all to you. I give it all to you. God, my life is yours. In view of the mercy of God, Paul is saying, let that revelation be the motivation to live a life of worship unto God. Our lives that have been transformed by the power of the gospel are living testimonies to the Holy Spirit's power to redeem and restore. Do you guys believe that? I'm going to say that again. Our lives that have been transformed by the power of the gospel are living testimonies to the Holy Spirit's power to redeem and restore. How many of you have been redeemed here this morning? How many of you have been restored? Been restored. I mean, God just completely restored you things in your life that you thought you lost forever. Maybe it was a relationship that you lost and you thought it's gone forever. There's no way I made so many mistakes in that relationship. I'm never going to get that person back. That, that, that child will never want to be in, re- in relationship with me because of, of the person I was previously. I want you to know that through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming your life, it is possible for, for your relationship that you think is too far gone for God. God can restore it. God can restore relationships between fathers and daughters and sons and mothers and daughters and sons, grandparents and grandchildren. God can restore marriage relationships. And it's on the foundation of the power of the gospel. When God changes a life, It is a complete transformation. And when that life, hear me out, when that life that has been completely transformed begins to live a life of a living sacrifice, people start to take notice. You know, I I know people that they've made lots of mistakes in their life and they've, they've isolated and alienated themselves from friends and loved ones. And then, and then they get changed. Maybe they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they want everybody to, for, to forgive them right away. Well, well, hey, hey, I'm serving God right now. You know, I'm, I'm doing right. I just want you to know there's only one equation for building trust. One equation. It's C, B over T. C, the letter C, B over T. Consistent behavior over time. That's the equation. You couple the power of the gospel to transform a heart. 
that transforms a heart and a mind through the teaching of God's word that impacts your life, the way you live, the way you talk, the way you walk, the way you interact. You consistently live to honor God in your life and you trust God with those broken relationships. Consistent behavior over time will melt hearts of offense. That's, that, that's good to clap over because some of you need to hear that this morning. You just have to trust God. You have to trust God. And, and this is the heart of genuine worship. It is a life that is lived for God. My whole life is worship. So what is genuine worship? What is genuine worship? Genuine worship that pleases the Lord is a life that is lived for the glory of God. That is worship. Worship is not music. Worship is not work. Worship is not hobbies. Worship is not any of these things that we do. But worship is a condition of a heart that says, God, my life belongs to you. My life is yours. And in every area of my life, in my marriage, God, I want to I wanna worship you in the husband I am to my wife. I want to worship you in the way I am as a wife to my husband. God, I want to worship you in being a, a godly example to my kids. God, I want to worship you on my job by being a, a hard worker, by being consistent, by being faithful. God, I want to worship you. I want my life to be a testimony, to be a sweet aroma to your nostrils. God, I want to please you with my life. And the motivation of all of it, the motivation of all genuine worship is not so the spotlight can be on you. It's not so that people can look at you and say, man, what an amazing person that person is. They're such an amazing husband or worker or or they do such great things in their life. That's not the purpose of a life that's a living sacrifice. What's the purpose? The purpose is the glory of God. It's so that when people look at you, you may not have even opened your mouth yet. Though I believe you need to open your mouth and preach the gospel at some point. But you may not even have opened your mouth yet. But your life paves the way for the words to be spoken. Sometimes people speak too quick. And they talk about Jesus, but then they don't live it. But if that life that is lived for the glory of God and lived to honor Christ and your life is a living sacrifice and you're genuinely worshiping the Lord, that testimony will pave the way for you to say, to answer their question. And their question is, what is it about that person? Why do they live differently? What is it about them? Why, why are they more patient than I am? Why did I not get aggravated at the boss like I do? It's not that we don't get aggravated as Christians. We just keep it in, right? <laughs> we, we don't mouth off. Because we're, we're, we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit. And they start asking those questions. Why are they different? And eventually they're going to ask you. Eventually in a quiet moment, in a time by yourself with them, they're, they're going to inquire. And then you, you open your mouth and you boldly proclaim, it's Jesus. He did it. He did it. He changed my life. Before him, I was impatient. Before him, I was unkind. Before him, I was addicted. Before him, I was lazy. Before him, I was all of these things. But now, because of my belief in Jesus Christ, because of my faith in what he, he's done on the cross for me, I've been transformed. I've been given a genuine heart of faith. My mind is renewed through the teaching of God's word. And then my life is impacted and changed. Amen. So look, I always hear this about churches. You hear people, they, they, they go visit churches. And they say, well, I've got to find a good church to go to. And they're looking for a church that has good worship. I want to go to a church that has good worship. And I, I know what they mean. A church that has good music. But you know what I would want our church to be? A church of good worship. 
a church filled with men and women, boys and girls, young men and young women that worship God with their entire life. Then when people come in here, they don't say, man, they, they have awesome music at their church, but they have shallow relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that is a condemnation to any church. I want our church to be a church of genuine worship that when we gather together to sing songs of worship to the Lord that we do every day, that they're coming through hearts that are holy, that are consecrated to the Lord, that have not lifted their souls to idols. And they're coming from hands and lips of people that are living the gospel in their life. And that is a worship. That is a worshiping church that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a church that is a powerful testimony in the communities that they live in. And that is a church that the Holy Spirit will draw the lost, will draw the helpless, will draw the hopeless too to come into these doors and to witness worship that pleases the Lord. That's what God's going to do. And I just want you to know I am excited and stirred in my heart about our church. And in particular about First Wednesday prayer. God's going to use our prayers. God's going to use the unity of our prayers as we gather together as heart, with hearts of genuine worship and we seek the Lord first. He's going to use us in our lives to reach people for Christ. He's going to use you to reach people for Christ. God's going to mature us and grow us and he's going to grow our church. People are going to come in and get saved and you know what's going to happen? We're going to be, we baptized five people this morning that testified. And I don't know if we have people to baptize next month, but we're going to have the whole, the whole year filled. Every second Sunday, people are going to be getting saved. And then they're going, to, they're going to publicly declare their faith in water baptism. Why do I know that's going to happen? Because God's word says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And when the gospel is preached, when the gospel is preached, people will get saved. I'm not going to have to convince them. I'm not going to have to twist their arms. I have to beg them. They're going to get saved. And when they get saved, they're going to publicly declare their faith. We're going to celebrate with them. And we're going to invite them on the journey of being transformed by truth and uniting together with us as we worship our Heavenly Father. Amen? I want to close with this. It's a quote from John Piper. I, I think he summarized my message really well here. Doing the will of God is the outward shining of God in his glory. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. All of life is the outward shining of what you truly value and cherish and treasure. Therefore, all of life is worship, either of God or something else. Therefore, be transformed in the renewal of your mind. Cherish God in all his works and in all his ways. Reckon the old mind dead and offer yourself to God as a living sacrifice that he may put you on display by the shining of his worth and his value in your life. Worship him with your life. Amen. Stand your feet with me. Worship him with your life. God, that is our heart cry. Lord, we want to worship you with our life, not just with our songs, not just with the words that we say, not just with our church attendance, God, not just with religious duty. God, we want to worship you from a heart of genuine faith, from a heart that genuinely loves you. 
God, we want to worship you in our life and the way that we live. God, we don't want to be just Sunday morning Christians who check off a religious box. Lord, we want to be genuine believers in Jesus that have transformed lives by the power of your spirit and renewed minds by the power of your word that display and demonstrate that inward transformation in outward behaviors. Lord, let that be who we are. Lord, that is our heart's desire. So Lord, we want to take these next few moments to worship you through song. We want to sing this song from the depths of our heart. God, as as believers who have transformed minds and genuine hearts of faith, God, we want to lift our hands and we want to sing out in worship to you to sing a song of praise and worship. So that's what I want you to do. The worship team's gonna sing a song. I want you to worship from the depths of your heart, passionately worship the Lord, and then I'm gonna come back up and we're gonna, we're gonna close in prayer.
will build our life. Once you say it again, once you sing that bridge, I will build my life. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Yes, Jesus. God, we build our lives upon you, upon your love. God, we want all of our life, our thoughts, the desires of our heart, our actions, all the different areas that you've called us to, to live. God, we want all of it to be built upon you, upon your foundation. And God, we want all of our life to be lived for the glory of the name of your son, Jesus Christ, so that you can be worshipped amongst the nations, so that you can be worshipped amongst our communities and our neighbors, our friends that don't know you, God. We want to bring you glory through our hearts of worship, through our lives that worship. That we love you, we honor you. This is all for you. This is all for you. It's all for your name, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.